welcome to the Blue and White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the Blue and White Brothers. Two brothers, two takes, one team. Bro, we are just days away from hearing that sweet sound of the We Are Penn State on either side of the stadium as a team runs into the stadium. Kickoff is just hours away. Not hours as in like three or four, but you know, like it's so close. It's tangible. It's, it's tangible. tangible. Yes. Tangible. And um, I got some pretty exciting uh, news on this front, which is that um, in the last week, uh, we've been trying to figure out how to handle the ticket situation. And um, I invited my daughter, Angelina, to her first Penn State home game and uh, took a little convincing, but she's on board. She's going to be walking into Beaver Stadium for the first time on Saturday night. I'm really excited uh, that she's going to be able to be there. She's going to be with you and dad. Uh, looking I was forward so to young. It. I was so young that I don't think I could remember my very first Penn State game, but I'll tell you what. It probably is not going to look anything like what, you know, this coming Saturday night's going to look like for Angelina. I don't know how she'll be able to outdo one unless it's a Michigan or Ohio State whiteout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a season opener know, is a big a deal season, for a, a, for a top opener. 10 team. Season opener, night game against uh, renewing an Power old five. regional rival. Um, it could, could be great. You know, Angelina is going into her junior year in high school, and um, she's just starting to think about college as well. She just got to see a small school when we dropped her brother off at college this weekend. And then we're going to get to see a big college at Penn State. And she's actually expressed quite a bit of interest in in Penn State already. So I'm excited to introduce uh, the football experience with her. We're probably going to go up early and walk around uh, the campus a little bit. Uh, It's going to be a fun day. Um, Outside of like watching Penn State dominate West Virginia, what are you looking forward to about being in State College this Saturday? Uh, I'm hopeful that uh, we've actually just looked at the weather. I'm glad there's going to be a good weather day yeah, for, right. for getting there, you know, early and tailgating and having a good time. There's nothing like a beautiful day in the grass outside of Happy, happy or outside of Beaver Stadium in Happy Valley. Um, I'm excited, just you know, and, and to tag to tail on to the weather comment, like there, the energy for that game can now realize its full potential because there's no like rain just making it a crummy experience. People can really, you know, fuel up throughout the day. So it's literally, and you know, metaphorically speaking. Um, and I I don't know, man, it's just, I, I, the last time we were a top 10 team going into the season was 2020. And we certainly had high expectations that season, but we also weren't able to go and see any of those games in person. Yeah. The woulda, coulda, shoulda is, Imagine if fans had been in the stadiums for those games. Would it have been three Ohio State game? Right, you know, especially totally. Yeah, there was a there was talk of that. You know, like oh man, that's a that's a that's a big time opponent. Even just Um, being in Indiana Stadium, like to completely dead, you know, stadium. Like how I've been in Indiana Stadium for a game. It's dead anyway. (laughs) Felt truly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, be that as it may, um, yeah, it's shaping up to be a really, really exciting season opener. Um, and this is our 
first look ahead episode of the 2023 season. Um, we're going to preview the game for you. Um, got a couple other things to look at as well. This episode, here's, here's the outline. We're going to start with a mailbag. Uh, we got a mailbag entry for you. We're going to hear the, uh, the, railroad bell dinging um, and open up that mail bag in just a moment. Um, we're going to um, talk about West Virginia for most of the episode, doing a little bit looking at the Penn State rivalry with West Virginia over the years, and then we're going to scout West Virginia, and finally we're going to wrap up with our sort of talking about the matchup and our expectations for the game, um, closing with the prediction for the game. Uh, before we jump in, I want to remind everyone to subscribe or follow your um, the Penn State excuse me, <laughs> subscribe or follow the Blue and White Brothers on your <laughs> podcast app. Um Make sure you share it with your friends. Share the love. We're, we're really looking to uh, grow our listenership just because we love Penn State football and want to share it. Um, please write a review or give us a rating. That, that's going to help other people find our podcast. And, uh, of course, send us an email with your thoughts. Um, get your question or comment featured on a mailbag. Send an email to blueandwhitebrothers at gmail.com. All right. With that, let's go ahead and open up the mailbag. Mailbag time. Well, we've got one mailbag entry today, and this is from someone who's become somewhat of a regular contributor, um, Shane Dowd. And we Shane, need someone I, to replace Joel now, basically. Yeah, Shane, you're carrying the torch at least. Fall for the on moment. that grenade for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Shane, appreciate you writing in. Um, he's got a question for us. I think it's a great question as we go into the season. And he's thinking about Penn State over the last three decades. Uh, and here's what he says. Uh, Gents, as we embark on another football season, I began thinking about the Penn State teams of the past and my favorite players per position. He said he's not thinking necessarily the best players for the position, not the best players, but um, just his favorite, which makes it a little more fun and subjective. Um, so since his uh, memory of Penn State only goes back to the 94 team, he's been thinking about pl players to watch since the last 30 years. Um, and then he concludes with a question. Do you care to join me and spend some time reminiscing? And um, when I shared this with Tom, we said, yes, of course, we'd love to spend some time reminiscing. I'm going to start with just sharing what um, Shane's takes are of his favorite players uh, on the offense. And by the way, this is just the offense. He uh, followed up with an email saying he's hoping to give us the defense uh, favorite players in a future email. So something to look forward to. But here are his favorite players from the offense. Um, for quarterback, he uh, goes Michael Robinson. Uh, for fullback, Saquon Barkley. Um, for wide receiver, Bobby Ingram. And for tight end, Mike Gesicki. Now, he had a couple of number twos in each of those, but those were his top players and sort of the key offensive skill positions. Um, I just want to read what he had a little... Um, uh, you know, a little note on each other. I'm just going to read his um, note for quarterback Michael Robinson. He said, we've absolutely had better passers at Penn State, but maybe none more fun to watch than Michael Robinson. I loved Trace McSorley too, but M. Rob threw darts and ran like a fullback, which he converted to in the NFL. <laughs> um, bro, as you think about your favorite Penn State players on the offensive side of the ball in your living memory, uh, who are the ones that come to mind for you? 
Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I initially thought of Trace McSorley just because of how pivotal he has been under, you know, James Franklin's tenure here, but but I'm I'm reminded as a when I was a child coming up, you know, it, it was um uh, t- Tony Saka was somebody that comes to mind. Uh, he could certainly sling the ball, but that's but that's not really like who I recall making plays. I just remember the name, Tony Saka, our quarterback. But making plays, I have to just go ahead and agree with him about Michael Robinson. You know, you know, coming out of the doldrums that we had for the last four to you know four out of five seasons had losing seasons. Michael Robinson, as a freshman, played on that O2 team with Zach Mills, um, but he played as like a gadget do it all kind of player, like run and reverse and playing running back and fullback and wide receiver because we needed playmakers in those days. But then finally as a senior, he got to play quarterback and he made you think after watching him play quarterback that season, like what would it, what could have been if he had been quarterback, you know, in the couple years leading up to that 05 season? Maybe we'd, be a, we'd have a better team that year. Maybe we would have beat Michigan on the road and been undefeated, you know, that, that 05 year because Michael Robinson had his electric player and he was an unbelievable leader. And he only had one year to do it, so you always you think about what could have been. But but also speaking of leaders, <clears throat> oh, and and I want to just clarify in 05, my favorite play for Michael Robinson. That I know year. what you're going to say. It's everybody's favorite play, and, and and we can remove the coming back behind from behind against Northwestern on the road when he made the the fourth and whatever it was fourth and fifteen toss to I, tight end Isaac Smokel and then you know threw it threw it into the end zone at the end there uh, as well. That was an incredible game, but running over the Minnesota defensive back uh, in Beaver Stadium, it he literally took a defensive player out of the game as an as a ball carrier on the sideline and and Robinson walked away from it like no one had even like run into him. <laughs> so that was one of my favorite plays to watch as a quarterback just crumbling a safety uh, in the backfield there um for Penn State that year. It was awesome, but but a close second for me is Matthew McGloin, just what he did and what it meant to this team to 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 be a a walk-on recruit and get a scholarship and then lead Penn State in one of the hardest and most difficult seasons in Penn State history. And he he threw for over 3,000 yards. He had a very, 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 um, you know, um, a stat line that was worthy of a Penn State. It was one of the best seasons of a Penn State quarterback, actually, ever uh, under Bill O'Brien. And it just what he did as a leader and hard-nosed, you know, as the, they say, moxie and a gamer, and he was gutsy and, and led us to eight victories that year. And, of course, we couldn't go to a bowl game, but he stuck with us. And, and, and you know, he's, he's stuck around as a Penn State great, uh, you know, even in the media after the fact. So that's my quarterback. Andy, what do you got quarterback-wise? Well, actually, I want to I want to skip to running back because sure. um, you know for me, um, and I, I certainly agree with all those assessments. Um, you know, um, Shane said Saquon Barkley for running back, which is I mean obvious. It's obvious, and what he says about Saquon, by the way, is that 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 you know Saquon did things that I hadn't seen before. Such an exciting player to watch, and I agree with that. I mean, Saquon was a singular talent. We may not see anyone like him ever again wearing the blue and white. Um, but for me, my choice on running back would be um, his backup choice, which is Larry Johnson. And that season where Larry Johnson had 2,000 uh, yards and I forget, 23 touchdowns or something like that, uh, was just a magical season. And Larry Johnson was like a freight train that year. I mean, he just he was an unstoppable force. And it, it was really one of them. Like, I, I, I really don't remember... 
before ever thinking, I can't wait to see the running back get the ball. I mean, that's what I thought every time I went into it. And everybody knew he was going to be getting the ball. (laughs) It just, and it was just, it was amazing to watch him carry the ball that year. And it may be the last year we really had that kind of a bell cow running back, you know, take the ball, you know, 95% of the time. Well, a bell cow running back in a bell cow running offense. Yeah, right. Like, very good Barkley was our bell cow, but like we, you know, running the the read option, um, it doesn't, really like give a, a, a running back the ability to run downhill like Larry Johnson ran downhill. And I miss that for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of receivers, um, you know, I would say, you know, he mentioned Bobby Engram. I, I think it's hard to look at Penn State receivers without putting Bobby Engram at the top. But the first Bolitnikoff award winner, you know, for me, ever. Um, Chris Godwin is someone that, you know, certainly over the last you know, five, 10 years. I, I think he was an incredible receiver to watch. Alan Robinson, you could put right up there next to him, but just the only know, two time big 10 wide receiver of the year ever. Yeah. The only time anyone in the big 10 has ever won two times the wide receiver of the year is Alan Robinson, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Chris Godwin was someone who, who just had, you know, he had strength, he had speed, he had power, he had moves and he blocked downfield. Yeah, absolutely. It was just, it was really fun to watch Chris Godwin take the field and, um, and also the athletic catches that he made anytime the ball went anywhere near him was just, it was an incredible thing to watch. So uh, how, who do you have for receiver, bro? Well, um, I'll go to receiver and then retouch on running back a little bit. Uh, but I have two off the, uh, you know, names that I, I knew wouldn't get picked by you because uh, I knew you'd probably go those routes of, of who you picked because <laughs> um, those are easy those are easy ones. Uh, are you throwing uh, shade in my direction? Bro? No, not at all. I just wanted to make sure I picked somebody who you weren't picking as a whole. Oh, okay. So Joe Juravicious, a big bodied receiver. Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl winner, by the way, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and yeah, he had a big play in the Super Bowl that year. Whatever. I forget what year it was. But, but um, you know, he, he his career at Penn State didn't end the way we wanted but he certainly was somebody who stood out um, that the defenses had to account for he was he was a, a great talent for us uh, maybe in a different era of Penn State passing a la the way we run offenses these days who knows maybe Joe Jervis would have had a, a, a bigger career um, at Penn State but you do uh, we like were, to see someone who's you know, has a height advantage, both in terms right. of like just raw height as well as, you know, jumping talent. And and Joe Juravicious was great. I remember him streaking down the sidelines and, you know, beating guys over the top. And uh, it's it's really nice to have that kind of talent. And when Joe was playing for us, it was it was definitely a bit of a safety blanket. We're going to need a, a, a receiver like uh, a Joe Jervicious to type. I'm not saying in size necessarily, but someone who steps up in a void, which is what Joe did. His his uh, either as a junior or senior, year, I forget which was his last for us. But another one that um, uh, he was a first round draft pick, Bryant Johnson, um, and from the O2 team. Oh yeah, he wore number 24. Um, he was a stud for us. He was a, a reliable, uh, you know, stud for us, and and he was Zach one of Zach Mills favorite targets uh, from the wide receiver position. Um, you know, I just, I enjoyed what he was capable of doing. Um, and, and I, and definitely we need a, we need a stud to step up at wide receiver this year. And so hopefully maybe someday down the the road, we we can point back to the uh, 2023 season and say, Hey, this wide receiver is somebody who I really enjoyed and, and is one of my favorites. Cause we're, you know, if Drew Aller is going to have the kind of year we hope he can have, he needs someone to throw it to. And it can't just be the tight ends and running backs. Um, as well, far as rushing. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think that's kind of an interesting question for the, this year. Is like, will we find any of these guys, you know, joining that pantheon, having those moments that are are burned into our memory, or having the kind of season that is is you know kind of leads them to say, you know what, this is one of my favorite players of all time. Will we find that kind of player on this team? I'm I'm curious to find out about that. So one of my favorite running backs of all time is somebody who goes under the radar quite a bit. He didn't when he was running the ball. Tony Hunt, number 26. The first guy who was wearing 26 for us that was leading the Penn State backfield before Saquon. Um, Tony Hunt was a bruiser, man. He 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 was in a po- on a podcast recently with um, Justin King and... Uh, Gosh, I forget his name. Um, the other guy that, that um, runs it, but it's called the State of State is the podcast. And they had Tony Hunt on recently, uh, maybe a couple months ago. And Tony Hunt talked about how he's just he's like, I am not a fan of this backfield by committee approach. He's like, he's like, I wanted the ball because I knew in the third and fourth quarters I was running guys over in the first and second quarters, and by third and fourth, fourth third and fourth quarters nobody wanted to tackle me because I ran them into the ground. And he's like, that's the kind of that's that's how I that's how I operate. I was never going to run away from anybody because I was going to run them over, and they weren't going to want to tackle me in the second half. Um, and that's just like you know a different a different era, different mindset, different types of. Um, Athletes that we're recruiting these days, but but another guy like that um, was a Zach Zwinak, and, and you yeah. know back when M- M- you know McGloin and um, it was we didn't have, we didn't have a great running game back in those days, but Zach Zwinak was capable. He had a thousand yard thousand yards for us his first time under Bill O'Brien, and that was that was we needed that. And without Zach Zwinak, I think our offense would have been just absolutely dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no doubt. Well, um, Shane, thanks for that uh, little walk down memory lane and uh, for sharing your thoughts with us and for getting that conversation going. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, Penn State can do this year to add to that. Well, I think it's time to close up the mailbag and turn our attention to what I think we're all excited about, which is the football game that's being played this Saturday. Um, bro, you ready for the kickoff of the Penn State football season? Uh what are you talking about? How do I say yes and, and, and convey that any more than I already have? Well, let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> so we're starting off with a night game. We're leading off the NBC package for the Big Ten this year, the new TV deal. Guess what? Penn State kicks it off uh, on NBC, 7.30 p.m., also streaming on Peacock. Looking to be a great game. The weather's going to be pristine, as you already said. Um, the commentators are going to be in Noah Eagle doing the play-by-play. Todd Blackledge, as we said last episode, is going to be the color analyst. Um, Catherine Tappen on the sidelines. Um, and we're going to have Michael Robinson in the studio oh, yeah, with, that's right. with some other uh, big tenors. Um, you, you got Josh Perry from Ohio State, and you have Matt Castle, um, who is a USC quarterback, which is a new member of the Big Ten. And then, um, oh, man, why am I already forgetting her name? She was... uh Maria Taylor. Mariah Taylor. Yeah, Mariah Taylor, which she's great. She came over from ESPN a few years ago. Um, I, I'm stoked that this is, uh, you know, kind of a um, uh, star-studded cast here a, a, a bit. And I'm just happy to have Penn State representing on the, uh, with our favorite Penn State quarterback, Michael Yeah, Robinson and they've been pumping this game on all of the yeah. NBC, um, you know, every, everywhere there's an NBC sports thing. You're just seeing this. They're, they're really... And interestingly, we're going to be, like, not able to watch it. 
you know, because we're going to be like the broadcast dealing with being at the game. <laughs> yeah, right. So I know dad will record all the direct TV-ness of it. And I'll be able to, when we go home later that night, I'll be able to like watch, we'll, we'll probably rewatch the game that night or, or at least Amazing. some of it or at least the, some of the highlights, whatever. We'll definitely dive back in when we get home uh, and I'll, we'll even watch it the following Sunday. But it'll be interesting just to see NBC, so, Penn State. Big Ten. So we're playing the West Virginia Mountaineers. And I don't know if you can believe this or not, because growing up, West Virginia was definitely one of those big games, a regional rival. We have not played them in 31 years. It's been 31 years since we played West Virginia. And it's pretty cool that um, the first game of the season, the first game um, with NBC is the restart of this significant regional rivalry. It's a home and home. Next year, we're going to be in Mountaineer Stadium, but this year we're kicking off in Beaver Stadium against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, We're doing a little bit of research into this series history, and um, I don't I don't remember whether you found it out or I found it out, but I was really surprised to learn that um, West Virginia is the team we've played third most in history. I found it out. Yeah, you, you found wanted it out. to know. You're, I found it. You're the smarty pants. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm the googly pants. Anyone who's been a Penn State fan in a long time will know that Pitt is our number one um, rival. Um, we've played them 93 games. Um, second team. I was a little surprised just because it's been so long since we've played them, but Syracuse is the second team in terms of the number of games we played, 71 games against them. And then here we are with West Virginia as uh, number third. We've played them a total of 55 times, and um, here we're starting up this uh, rivalry after uh, a 31-year hiatus. Yeah, I mean, we the first game being in 1905, you know, we're working on a... Uh, 1909, quarter, 1909. Sorry, did I say five? Oh, okay, that Pitts was 1905. I apologize. Right. Um, so we're working on getting up to the uh, one and a quarter centuries here with, with all these, you know, old rivalries. It just, you know, I... I I wish we had regional rivalries. I I wish we could play these teams more. Not not because it elevates our profile, but but because you know you you just it, it's we we still are searching for a, a Big Ten rival. I mean, and maybe we never have one. I don't know. But but the whole point is regional rivals exist for us, dating back to the turn of the ninth, you know, the the nineteenth or twentieth century. Excuse me. And and you know you know who we played even. Um, Longer ago, University of Penn. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, let's put them back on our schedule. Put them back on the schedule. Um, yeah, I just, I, I it'd be nice to, to by have the way, not just we be have, a two-year standalone series. By the way, we have a losing record against Penn. That's why we stopped playing them. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> we got to play them again so we can uh, rectify that situation. But, um, you know, Penn State and West Virginia, it, it hasn't been a particularly um, even series. Um, Penn State's all-time record is 44-9-2. and two. That's an 81.2 win percentage. Um, so, uh, you know, I can imagine that, you know, at least from the West Virginia side, there maybe was not a whole lot of disappointment when we stopped playing them regularly. And I, I read something uh, that Joe himself was not all that disappointed to stop playing West Virginia. I'm not quite sure why that is, but, um, you know, they're just really hasn't over the last 30 years been a been a lot of motivation to to renew that rivalry well guess what we start off the 2023 campaign uh by by starting it up again you know you mentioned sort of our lack of 
um, having a rival, a, a stated rival in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, an exclamation point was put on that when um, they put out the the 24 and 25 schedules. That was before, by the way, Oregon we and Washington came unrivaled. in. remain unrivaled. Yeah. Um, they, every team had an opportunity to have up to three protected rivalries. And Penn State was the only team in the Big Ten that had zero protected rivalries um, truly, we are unrivaled. I mean, of course, um, Ohio State is a big game every year. Michigan's a big game every year. Michigan State, we've been paired up in the stupid land grant trophy. I'm sorry, it's not stupid. It's amazing. But anyway, but that's a stupid trophy. <laughs> the, sto- <laughs> the trophy itself could use some work. But anyway, um, that, that is a game that I think we're separated by, you know, like I think we're like eight. I forget what exactly we are. It's like we're like. 15 and 14 against Michigan. There's a lot of parody in that 17 and 16. It's it's close. It's close. So like that is not a rivalry, but it is certainly a game that has been close over the years, but still no, we, we don't have, we're not, you know, the closest thing I think we have to a rivalry is Ohio state. And that's, while that's been a regional rivalry for us, it's certainly not a true rivalry. Yeah. And play second fiddle fiddle to the Ohio state, Michigan game, which goes back, you know, I mean, that's the, in the big 10 Ohio state, Michigan is like the Penn state pit, you know, back when we were both independent. Yeah. But like Pitt's never lived hell up their end of the bargain as being a national power. Well, not (laughs) since we joined the the seventies, not Uh, now look, I, you know, and this brought up for us, you know, when we were talking about this, like, Back in the day, there was a point right before Penn State joined the Big Ten when this regional consortium of teams, Penn State, West Virginia, Pitt, and Syracuse, we were national powers um, every year, um, you know, for about 10 years, maybe 15 years, one of these teams was was really high in the rankings. The games that these teams played against each other had major national consequences, Um there was a period of time, and Joe Paterno was at the center of this, trying to get these Eastern independents together into a football league to to really solidify their power and get in on a TV contract that would be good for all of these programs. And for various reasons, um, that never came together. And a, a couple of the factors that were involved in that, number one, when Penn State approached the Big East, which was primarily a basketball conference, and said, hey, we'd love to come in as a football member, um, they were afraid of... Penn State's dominance in football, and they rejected Penn State's bid. Well, guess what? Just a couple years later, they invited Pitt in as a football member, and then West Virginia, and Penn State was shut out. Um, uh, the other thing um, after West, excuse me, after the Big East turned Penn State away, Penn State decided, "Hey, let's go ahead and then form our own brand new conference, and we'll take Boston College in Syracuse." Well, guess what? At that point, the Big East was frightened that they were going to lose some of their founding members, and that's when they invited Pitt, and the rest is history. We were very close to being, you know, imagine how imagine how college football would be different today, especially in this era of realignment, if these core regional teams had banded together and formed an actual regional power conference in football. It could have been really cool, but as it was, Penn State saw the writing on the wall. We left for the Big Ten. We've been a Big Ten member for the last 30 years. You know, my kids have never seen us play, you know, 
Pitt or West Virginia more than a handful of times. This is the first year we're playing West Virginia. So it's just really fascinating how things could have been different. Um, be interesting to write a history of what could have been. Well, not only did Joe not care about you know, scheduling West Virginia in the non-conference once he was in the Big Ten. But the, you know, all our coaches and uh, administrators, athletic directors, nobody cared about, you know, scheduling Pitt regularly enough. Nobody cared about scheduling Syracuse or... Have we or, even uh, played Syracuse in the last 30 years? Um, I think we... I, actually, I, I don't know offhand. Um, it's irrelevant, I think. But, but, but so here's what's happening is while the fans... So even Franklin says like, you know, like why, like what I think Franklin feels like even playing pits, not worth our time. And a lot of people, why in, live in the past State, kind of thing? Well, I just, the value in beating pit, it is not as great as, as the, as the, what if of losing to pit, you know, beating pit, right. Is, it's a, doesn't mean it's not a big, like, you know, uh, there's not a good value proposition in that. In that dynamic, right? Right, exactly. Well, that's what some people believe, but the fans want to see Pitt and Penn State play. I personally want yeah, to see Pitt and Penn State play. But I, you know, you know, I don't I, care if, if it's not like if it doesn't work out for us in the long run from a you know monetary stand monetarily standpoint. Um, but but what what's happening in this day and age now is that what all that matters is helmet games on a national scale. What kind of national audience you can bring in, you know, Penn State, Oregon, Penn State, USC, Ohio State, uh, you know, Washington, like, you know, these are the, the, the freshest types of games that, that are, people are interested in, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, from I mean. A, from a TV standpoint. Of from course. From a TV course. standpoint. Well, and, and like, that's where the conferences are going, you know, that like gathering 100%. the national Our brand. conference, our, our AD is a TV guy. Gathering the national, the conference commissioner, you mean, yeah, gathering the national yeah, brands right. from across the, the, the landscape of national football. Um, yeah, I get it. I'm, I guess I was just saying is imagine what would have been had Penn state been the anchor for an Eastern football conference where those rivalries could have remained intact over the last 30 years. I mean, if we had played West Virginia, for the last 30 years, we would now be at 85 games in that series, you know, um, for Pitt, you know, imagine we would be over a hundred games in that series. It would have been pretty cool to be able to have, you know, be, and what would, you know, look, West Virginia is kind of on the downslope over the last five years by, you know, by any measure. And, you know, imagine what being in an Eastern regional football conference with Penn state, as much as maybe they would have been frightened by that prospect, similar to, you know, the big 10 having Ohio state or Michigan to have to play every year. But you know, the, the high tide raises all boats kind of thing. And I, I just, I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity, but look, it's enough of memory lane. Yes, it'll be fun to renew that rivalry. There's a certain generation that will Eddie, love. Real quick, though, hold okay. on. Real, I'm right. sorry to thwart your process here. Sure. How many games would you would we have played with Pitt at that uh, if we had continued to play at that rate? Yeah, I mean, like we would be at like a hundred and you know over a hundred games, right? Ninety three plus thirty would be you know, 123 minus the, however many we played over the last 30 years. So. 123, huh? Well, guess what? I think the, 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 mo I think the most played rival 
rivalry game i think oh no the uh, sorry the 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 oregon oregon state rivalry is uh the fifth most plays played college football rivalry game in the fbs and they've played as of now um 126 games yeah so we'd be right up there in like the storied rivalries of college football all time as it is we cut the moorings of our history when we joined the big 10 i think it was a fine move it's worked out for the most part for penn state but it's just it's it's too bad it's too bad um and that's all in the background of this game um let's turn our attention now to um this year's west virginia team let's scout them out because truthfully we're not playing the teams of 30 years ago or 40 years ago we're playing this year's West Virginia team. And just a quick caveat for everyone. You know, we don't have any history for West Virginia for this year. They have no record. It's the very start of the season. We don't know who their starters are going to be. So we're going to mostly look at what they did last year, along with a little bit of off-season news to just try to get a sense for what to expect. As we've said, we haven't played West Virginia in 30 years, so you know, this team and what's going on is really new to us. Andy, do you know who's going to be performing the, the, the coin toss to open this game? I sure don't, but I'm excited Tom to Bradley. learn. Ooh, interesting. Who also pl- coached at West Virginia after huh. leaving Penn State, by the way. Not head coach, but he, I believe he was the DC, if not a, a, a defensive back coach That's as well. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look forward to seeing Tom Bradley. Well, um, speaking of the West Virginia game, let's talk about their head coach this year, who's a guy named Neil Brown. Um, he's been at West Virginia for four years. This is his fifth season. Um, prior to West Virginia, he was at Troy, and he kind of made some waves at Troy, um, brought them up into the 10-win uh, you know, stratosphere, which for Troy, in, in terms of football, is pretty significant. They upset LSU 24 to 21 in 2017. Uh, they, in the process of doing that, snapped LSU's 46 game non conference home winning streak, which I think was like the, the best in the country at the time. And um, so Neil Brown got some looks around the country. He ended up at West Virginia. Um, Tom, what else do you know about uh, Neil Brown? Um, well, I know that if he is going to get fired this year. It's going to start because he lost the opening game in a <laughs> pathetic fashion. Um, but what what else I know is this is also an opportunity for him to maybe salvage his coaching career at West Virginia. Imagine if he does the unthinkable and upsets Penn State on the road. I, I you know, like that's that's kind of where <laughs> that's. That's the opportunity, you know. Franklin would always say, "Opportunity is at your door," and that's what the opportunity is for um, Neil Brown in his career at, at West Virginia. But, you know, he he was able to do it at um, at Troy. He was he, he coached at Troy, and he was able to to knock off LSU. Uh, I think in two thousand seventeen, if I recall correctly, um, and he kind of put his, his head coaching name on the map in that. Uh, at least on a national scale, in, in that upset in LSU that year. Um, but, you know, he hasn't really replicated any of that magic ever since he left Troy after the no, 2018 season. He sure hasn't. Um, and and just, you know, getting into some specifics, um, you know, last year, uh, the, the 2022 season, um, it, it was not a great one 
for um, for West Virginia. No, people are surprised he's actually back for right. this season. So, in a lot so of their ways. record last year was five and seven. They were three and six in the Big Twelve Conference. Um, their wins were not particularly impressive. Uh, they beat Towson and the struggling Virginia Tech in their non-conference games. Um, but then they lost the backyard brawl and a heartbreaker to Pitt. They, they were winning that game, and then um, Pitt came back and, and snatched it from them. Um, in the conference, they had wins against Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, which sounds impressive, um, but all of those teams had down years last year. Um, right. They all had a losing record in the conference last year. Um, and Basically, that was an opportunity in the Big 12 for a team like West Virginia to kind of like make some moves. Yeah, and but they couldn't even it do the, it when the superpowers were, you know, right. on their butts, <laughs> you know, for most of the year. Right. Instead of teams like um, Kansas State and of course TCU. Uh, yeah, right. Or so, even Kansas as well. Kansas, yeah. You know. So, um, you know, and speaking of conference, like they they also lost to last plate last place Iowa State 31 to 14. So, um just real quick, you know, it seems a little funky to think about, but um, they are members of the Big 12, which they joined in 2012. So they've been members for 10 years. And interesting thing about the Big 12 this year, there are 14 teams in the Big 12. Uh, they got formed new teams in Central Florida, Houston, BYU, and... Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, thank you. Yeah, and meanwhile, um, Texas and Oklahoma, who are departing for the sec are still in this year. All right. right so, right. um, interesting thing. Um, West Virginia plays each of those new members this year. So, yeah. So there's an opportunity that they have, you know, to, to, to maybe steal a couple from some, some teams making a, a jump in competition from the, uh, you know, group of five to the, you know, big, uh, big 12 power though, five. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm saying there's each, an opportunity. I'm not saying that West Virginia is going to do it. Each Andy. of those teams, each of those teams to me, um, have, have some significant strengths that, um, I'm not sure if West Virginia can match, but um, look, it's it's been a it's been a tough stretch for West Virginia since 2016, which is their last season when they had double-digit wins. They've won eight games only once. Uh, the last uh, four seasons, they've had three losing seasons, and they only won had a winning season in 2020. Um, that shortened season when they went six and four, and then this year is not looking to be very promising for them. Their strength of schedule is among the hardest in the FBS. If you go by opponents' combined win total last season, which, by the way, for their opponents this year is 88, they have the hardest schedule in college football. Uh, now, pro football focus, which is kind of like a, you know, sort of a, a strength in, you know, they're, they're comparing each of the games and whatnot. Uh, PFF has them as the third hardest strength of schedule in the country behind Michigan State and South Carolina. So interesting that two of our opponents, actually three of our opponents, Andy, are on this top 10 PFF hard, toughest schedules in the country. Yeah. So it's two Michigan State, three West Virginia, and number nine is Ohio State. Yeah, fascinating. Because um, we're on their schedules. So, you know, um, odds makers are kind of putting the over-under for West Virginia as four and a half or five and a half wins. They're currently predicted to finish dead last in the Big 12. And, you know, just as I was looking over the schedule, I think it's not impossible for them to have a 10 loss season this year if they can't find their footing the teams on their schedule are that good 
we are absolutely going to be the first domino of of Neil Brown being probably I mean my prediction is that Neil Brown will be fired before the season's over makes you wonder why do you even bring him back if that was going to be a, a likelihood <laughs> so yeah, maybe to to you know preserve whoever their future coaches from but, having but, such a discouraging start to the well, tenure well so so I, that you know if we are the here's an interesting what if if we are the domino that leads to his firing at midseason are any Penn State coaches going to be up for the West Virginia job? Oh. Uh, you know, by the end of the season. Oh, I sure <laughs> hope not. Um, I mean, West Virginia, dude, is a is a power five team in a in a conference that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. You know, the Big Twelve has asserted themselves as a as a as a power, and they're going to stick around. They got the they they got they went to the market and got their deal with the TV companies before. You know, the Pac twelve got obliterated uh, because they couldn't make it to market in time. So. So that's going to be a power five job with a, access to the college football playoff. You got to, who knows? You never know. It's a desirable position. Rich Rod had been there in the years past. And do you know what um, they're, do you know what they had great quarterbacks and great teams in the years past? Do you know what their program income, you know, aside from TV money, do you know what their program income was this last year? I don't, but I do know that that Neil Brown is getting paid four and a half million dollars to be one of the worst teams in college football. One of the worst coaches. In they coaches. they brought in twelve million dollars in revenue last year, and this is compared to uh, the top programs in the country that are bringing in like over a hundred million. Like they're ninety million dollars in a revenue below disparity. The top team. I, I, to me, this is not a great opportunity. I disagree. Um, so uh, they just they don't have the resources. West Virginia, Listen, as a university, guess what, Andy? They have been losing recruit. They have been getting recruits, and Penn State's been losing recruits to West Virginia and, and some bigger names just in this past off season. We lost a five star linebacker, Lance Dixon, to them. You know, like they're they they must have something going on somehow, some way that they've still able to to win in that recruiting those some of those recruiting battles. It's not a it's not a nothing. I'm not and I'm not saying that they are competing with Penn State, you know, top to bottom, but they're not a nothing. They're not a they're they I I, I don't know, man. Like they there's there's room for growth there. Yeah, uh, well that's that's certainly true. Um look, uh let's talk about where they have some bright spots as we look to the team itself. And I think if if West Virginia is going to have a good year, the likelihood is it's going to be on the offensive side. Now, um, they lost uh, their offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell. So um, who knows what that shift is going to be like. Oh, by the way, they also lost their uh, uh, transfer quarterback, JT, T- JT Daniels. He's no longer transfer with Rice. Um, and... and um, and so there, there's a lot of question marks um, on the offensive side, um, and yet this is probably from a talent perspective, um, and 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 from a, a returning um, talent perspective, uh, the, the strong spot. Um, tell us about um, their offensive coordinator, bro. So Chad Scott, he's you know come from within the program. He was the running backs coach last year. Um, and he takes over Graham Harrell, who went on to Purdue. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't, I, it'll be his first time coordinator job ever. Um, we will, you know, he's been with Neil Brown for over a decade. They worked together at Kentucky, Texas Tech, and Troy. Uh, and they were, it was a teammate. They were teammates with of, of each other's at Kentucky as well. So, but as far as, you know, 
painting the picture for what Chad Scott's going to be. And my imagine, my, I imagine they are going to lean on their strength. You know, Ch- Graham Harrell was a air raid quarterback in college at Texas Tech. He was an air raid, um, you know, offensive uh, philosophy as an OC, which is why he went to Purdue. But I don't know if that is going to work for West Virginia this year. They're definitely certainly going to try and um, pass the ball, but I, they've got some running backs and a and a pretty solid offensive line. So my thought process is they're going to use the run to set up the pass. Uh, I, we, again, the, the, this is the, the problem of, of it being game one with a new offensive coordinator. We don't know. I'm just theorizing what I think could be the case, just given their strengths. Um, so, you know, they've got a, a bowling ball running back in the, in the, uh, in the backfield there. Um, with uh, C.J. Donaldson Jr., he's almost 240 pounds. He had uh, nearly 500, uh, you know, 30 yards rushing last year with a 6.0 average, and he also had uh, his backup Jalen Anderson um, had 275 yards with a almost nearly an eight point average in in running. So, the, so they they have some pieces at. Um, uh, running back that are that are certainly going to be relied upon. Um, they lost their number one wide receiver in the transfer portal. Um, a guy that actually um, Penn State was recruiting very hard. A guy named Caden Prather went to Maryland of all places, and uh, they're going to re- try and replace him with former Penn State transfer portal commit. Devin Carter from NC State, who is another big body. Both Caden Prather and Devin Carter are six foot three, two fifteen, two twenty size um, stud wide receivers. That's they, these are the some of the pieces that they're going to need to rely upon for breaking in uh, a new quarterback. And it'll be the first time in the last decade that West Virginia will not be relying upon a transfer quarterback. Both. Um, Presumed starter uh, Garrett Green and backup uh, highly recruited Nico Mark is it Markiel? I don't I I don't know if it's Markiel or guess or as good as mine. It. Uh, but Markiel was a Florida State commit at one point and wound up um, at at the uh, Volunteers. Or excuse me, not Volunteers, but the Mountaineers. <laughs> pardon me. Um, and and these guys are kind of been duking it out and. In preseason and in the offseason, um, Garrett Green is the presumed starter just because he's had a lot of uh, experience. Last year, he finished off the season once JT Daniels was injured. Uh, he finished off the season in the last two years as, as the starter. Um, but that's just kind of the way it's shake, shaken out from a, a, a personnel standpoint after you look at what's going on um, with the the offensive coordinator uh, changeover there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the OC has a run game background and I I do agree with you. I think especially with the departure of Graham Harrell and taking the air raid offense with them to Purdue, uh, you're likely to see them um, rely on the run, especially with the new quarterback Um, and uh, basically a whole new stable of, of wide receivers as well from what I understand. So um, the other thing they've got going for them, I think is a very, very good offensive line, at least, um, you know, at least, the, the West Virginia fan base is talking about that. Um, now, last year, even with these pieces, they did not have a standout offensive year. Um, they were 57th in football, um, major college football, in terms of the um, offense, offensive yards, uh, just under 400 yards per game. Um, break that down, they were 70th ranked in passing and only 52nd on the ground. Um, they did average 170 
uh, 171 rushing yards on the ground. Um, that's not terrible. It's better than some of Penn State's recent rushing team attacks. Uh, certainly, um, but it's but it's certainly not, not necessarily certainly not necessarily enough to build you know an offense around. And and just by the way, in terms of scoring offense, again, just just not that great. Um, they, they didn't they didn't score nearly enough points in nearly enough games. Um, you know their best outing. <laughs> Was against Towson. They scored sixty-five. Um, you know, but but after that, their best their best outing was against Baylor, and they they managed a, a forty-three points um, to to win that game. Um, they they had some very low output scoring games as well, where they just they just couldn't get it going. And, and by the way, this isn't the Big Twelve, uh, not exactly a conference known for their defense. So. Um, Yes, it sounds like offense is uh, is going to be the strength of the team. The run game is going to be the strength of the team. Um, how that's going to translate um, as they kind of start their new season with a new offensive coordinator, Neil Brown, I think calling the plays again should be interesting. Let's turn to their defense. And um, their defense last year had problems. Let's put it that way. They, they, they had some problems. And their pass defense putting was... Putting it nicely, I think. Their pass defense was... A, Especially bad. Um, they surrendered 412 yards per game. That's total defense. Uh, that put them at 98th. And then their passing defense, they surrendered 262 yards per game. That, gosh, they were 111th out of 131 teams last year. And this is a major college football program. Uh, uh, you know, a uh, Power five team. So you know when you when you're mentioning this, Andy, I just I'm it, all I can think about. You know, what's dominating my mind is what a great game to break in a first year starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah, you man, know? total. But I'm also I'm also thinking about like you know going back to their offensive strength being the running game. You know, it means they're going to try and establish the run against our defense. And what is our defensive weakness? Yep. At least, in the Michigan game, at least, and even dating back to like uh, the Illinois teams that we played in the past uh, when they run those jumbo offensive lines and and even you know when we played Villanova a couple seasons ago like we could not stop their their like our de- our defensive line couldn't stop their rushing attack so this is a good game for our defense to get acclimated with what is our weakness against one of their strengths and then also with our offense one of our you know potentially our weaknesses is our you know the continuity in our passing attack on timing in our passing attack um is getting going against a a bad uh you know passing defense that'll be very good to get the the juices flowing for drew aller especially in a home environment um and you know <laughs> giving up 412 yards per uh game in yeah. the passing game no, no, no. That's total. Oh, that's overall. I'm sorry. The overall, you know, that just that screams balanced offensive attack for us. So you don't you don't have to ask a ton of Drew Aller in the passing game, and but you can still like get yards against against them uh, with Drew Aller, and and probably walk out of there feeling really good about going into next week's game against. By the way, Delaware, which I'm no. sure you'll also <laughs> get some you know some some uh, some good passing game stats coming out of that game too. So well, let let. Let's talk about that matchup, all right? Because um, it is interesting to see their offensive strength against our potentially defensive uh, weakness. It's interesting to see, you know, our offensive, I don't know if you call it a weakness, but the, our offensive question mark going up against yeah, I, a, we'll weak, call it a weakness on, on their team. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see how those things play out and how, you know, what, what's West Virginia going to try to do on offense and defense. Again, I would be really surprised if they put their quarterback out there on an Island, but I'd also be really surprised if our defense lets them get their ground game established. So their new quarterback can't, um, you know, has to carry the, the team on their shoulders. Um, in spite of these kind of like matchup issues, you know, people are looking at these two teams and, and Penn state is heavily, heavily favored. We come into this as a, you know, 20.5 point favorite. Uh, was one of the latest ones that I've, I've seen, you know, I think the ESPN's FPI says it's something somewhere up north of an 80% chance of winning this game. Um, but how do you see this game playing out and how do you see, you know, these, these matchups working out, what do you see Penn state trying to do on, on offense and defense as we line up against this unknown West Virginia team? Well, I think if, you know, West Virginia's defense doesn't get it together. If guys like safety, Aubrey, excuse me, Aubrey Burks, if defensive end, Sean Martin, if cornerback Beanie Bishop, some of these guys that have been expected to take leaps. If they don't like establish themselves as being playmakers and are just like, kind of like barely holding it together, it's gonna be a long day because we've got studs all over the field on offense for us and even though some of our guys are question marks from a are they going to be that guy like are we going to have a dominant wide receiver out there in game one or or are we going to you know if 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 our wide receiver passing game doesn't get going how many yards is a guy like you know Theo Johnson gonna have going down the field. Uh, how many yards are Saquon? Or excuse me, Saquon, <laughs> Nick Singleton and Katron Allen gonna muster up? Are they gonna be well on their way to two one thousand yard seasons? Or are we gonna see somebody else? You know, lead, you know, lead the the charge at that position in game one. Are they going to go with a hot hand, or are they just going to try and be bounced? I, I don't think Penn State is going to have a shortage of statistical, you know, uh, stars in the game. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they go with the ball, you know, coming out of the game. I think Theo Johnson could have a big game. Um, he'll actually be probably going up a guy, uh, going up against a guy um, who's a former uh, Penn Stater, Lance Dixon. Um, he Lance Dixon plays the spear position, who's like a hybrid safety linebacker type, and he could be called upon to to cover his old teammate. Um, I think this is the the year for a guy like Theo Johnson to establish himself as like Penn State's number one passing target. Like if we have question marks at wide receiver, if nobody's leading the charge, if no leaders are are taking charge, a guy who's been you know Franklin has said time and time again, even since his little scuff up in the sp- scuffle in the spring where he got um, you know arrested with a misdemeanor, the guy's been one of the leaders of the offense, and so. You got to think that Aller's trying to go to one of his, you know, best targets, his biggest targets, one of his strongest targets, and one of the leaders of the offense. I just, I think this is a game that Theo Johnson could totally take over personally, from a passing standpoint. Do you standpoint. think? Do you think that Penn State is likely to lean on their ground game in the early goings and try to get that established, or do you think we're going to go after the weakness of their passing defense and try to say, Hey everyone, here's our star quarterback, Drew Aller, and he's going to pick you apart. Like, is this coming out party for Drew? To make a decision like that. And they're like, Hey, should we ease Drew in this? Absolutely not. I don't think you ease him in, in, in at all. I'm not saying don't you don't use the running backs. You can use the running backs while not easing Drew Aller in, but to play it conservative against one of the, you know, uh, uh, they had four transfer uh, defensive backs come in to this team. 
to have no continuity on the back end and they are of a team that already had a horrible statistical year last year. I mean, Drew Aller could get surgical with these guys. And if you want, you know, you're going to go against Illinois on the road in a couple of weeks, and then you're going to, you know, play a, arguably one of the best defensive backfields and one of the best defenses in the country in Iowa, um, in the in the whiteout in a few weeks after that. You cannot ease your guy in. You're you're playing Delaware next week. You're not going to give him good look. He's not going to get good looks, uh, good Big Ten looks against Delaware. You need to use what we have got between now and uh, the Illinois and Iowa games to get Drew Aller completely comfortable right away. And that's that's just you know trusting that your five star stud quarterback who's already played some some snaps last year who's learned behind one of the best pre-snap quarterbacks in Penn State football history if not one of the best if not the best by the way statistical quarterback in Penn State history um you just got to trust him you got to give him the rock and let and and just believe that he's going to find open guys and go through his progressions and make smart decisions and even if he doesn't Good. The best way to you learn is through making mistakes, and better to do it against a crappy defense than to learn against a much better Illinois defense and and one of the greatest defenses in the country in Iowa. I think that's a really excellent point. Like this, this is the time for Drew Aller to put it on the field. You can lean on those running backs yeah. in those games more so than the and, and like try and you know you know condense the, the the playbook somewhat in those games just so he's not like getting smacked around by defensive. And, and linebackers and then not knowing where to go with the ball, you know, that's when you can start relying on your on your tried and true uh running backs. But right now, give give him th- th- let him throw the ball 30 plus times, as far as I'm I, I'm concerned. Let's um let's flip it to the defense. And um we've said, you know, there's an expectation here that West Virginia is gonna work their run game, and um that's been a problem for us in the past, including last year. What do you expect to see from our defense? Are we going to stack the box and shut down the run to make their quarterback beat us? Are we going to try to play a base defense and trust our guys um, to, you know, to make the plays? Um, I, I saw one West Virginia commentator said that like they have four guys in their backfield that could all be starting quarterbacks and power five pro excuse me, starting running backs in power five programs. I don't know if that's true, but there's a lot of hype around this um, this run game for West Virginia. Can we shut it down? Can we can we show and that just, we've taken a step? What do you think we're going to just see? like you know you use this game f- to to like you know answer the question marks of, of Drew Aller and and the passing game. Um, you you also you know use the defense. Uh, you know, against this offense, our defense against their offense for some question marks. I, I say stack the box. You you absolutely stack the box and you try and let their new quarterback uh, beat you over the top because we have a, apparently one of the best secondaries in the country. All right. And and you got to give them the ability to, to prove it. All right. So, so, and, and especially dra- dra- dialing up, um, you know, the front seven, uh, you know, blitzes and, and confusing that quarterback and making, um, run stuffing linebacker plays in the gaps, like wh- whatever it is, you, you prepare for the Illinois and the Iowas and the Michigans, uh, by, by, Proving that you can stop a lower level opponent's run game. Like, if you can't stop West Virginia running the ball, it, like, and I know you don't have to have all the answers in week one, but like, 
start getting prepared for it in week one by by like you know building your defensive game plan around the same way you're going to build defensive game plans in some of your hardest games, right? You got to be thinking about oh, this is a uh, a scrimmage for Illinois or a scrimmage for Iowa, you know. So this game is a scrimmage for Illinois. Illinois is a scrimmage for Iowa. Iowa's a scrimmage for Michigan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the way it breaks down. And also, equally, I'm not sure I would call it a scrimmage, but yeah, yeah preparation. Yeah, I'm, I'm using the term scrimmage, whatever. Stepping stones. I, I, obviously, the game counts and matters dr- like dramatically. Stepping stones, sure, whatever. But you game plan wise, you use it like you're preparing for the, that next team. Also, yeah. So that way you're familiar with with that type of game plan. You know what I'm saying? Hold on, but I got one more thing I want to say. Oh, is is the the other reason why you 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 come out swinging with your five star quarterback right out of the gate is because you don't need to get like Nick Singleton going the way you got to get the running game or the passing game going. Yeah, interesting Nick Singleton, point. Nick Singleton can take one pa- one um, handoff and take it eighty yards. Right. That that's the, we're an explosive run game with Nick Singleton. All right, but but we need to find our explosiveness in the pass game and the reason why you do it coming out of the gate is a we want to start fast and b what doesn't work when when a team is behind the run game so you get ahead in the first half but like by 14 21 28 points that run game is going to be absolutely worthless and they're going to be forced to pass the ball and that's when they're going to start making mistakes yeah 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 i mean i'm 100 with you i think the only other thing i wanted to say before we get into our game predictions is that I will be really interested to see how things look in the trenches for both the offensive and defensive lines of Penn State. Can we dominate West Virginia up front? They apparently have a very good offensive line. I don't know anything about their defensive line, but you know, I remember they apparently have like maybe three future draft picks. Maybe not high in their offensive line. Maybe not all this upcoming draft, but future you know, NFL linemen are apparently on this offense, starting offensive line. Yeah, so, I mean, a great matchup for for Penn State's defensive line to test themselves. Um, I remember going back all, to, all the way to the Rose Bowl, um, looking how those two lines were, were, you know, stacked up against Utah, and you could just see that in the trenches, Penn State was winning on both sides, and it bowed it was it really boded well for that game and as it turned out that's what happened i'm going to be looking for that again this year with west virginia uh, to see the development of both of those squads whether the offensive line has you know ended or starting this season where they ended last season and then to see if the defensive line has taken a step up i think if we can see that early on in the game i think it really bodes well for penn state yeah to touch on the defensive line there and to touch on the concept of like saving saving stuff for future games like dude this this defensive line needs to eat out of the gate we need they need to build confidence that they are yeah that they're studs from like at, at every rotational piece okay you know we've got you know f- five and six pieces at every you know spot at every positional group on the defensive line and they need to start proving it they've been talking a big talk we've been getting praise for chop robinson adisa isaac deny dennis sutton and the tackles have been saying oh we're, we're some of the best in the country we feel you gotta prove it right away and you gotta like i need i need Dion barnes to prove it as a first time defensive uh line coach too 
Like, there's no sense in saving anything for any opponent. You got to be hungry on every play and prove that you're able to dominate dominate the lesser competition. You have to. The, there's no other position on the field that that eats the way a defensive line can eat. There's no other position. The defensive line needs to eat. We need a defensive line that plays at an elite status from you know the first whistle of the first game to the last whistle of the last game. Like there should be no drop off from play to play, from game to game. I mean, if we're gonna have one of the best defenses in the Big Ten, one of the best defenses in the country, in the country then uh it, it really that defensive line has got to show up early and, and especially consistently. if you're gonna have lockdown corners, like that much more freedom. To, to for this front seven to, to do whatever they want to do, you know. Well, let's um, let's go to the game predictions, and I, I always feel like the first game prediction is actually the hardest because we we haven't seen our team, we haven't seen their team. Uh, a, a lot yeah. of it comes down to how well do you think this team is going to be prepared, and how well is the other team going to be prepared well, coming out of their there's preseason. A lot of, there's a lot of competitions that are still ongoing even as we speak right now and that makes it kind of hard to predict from a, a lot of like we don't like we don't know how far these guys have been pushing each other in these co- like position competitions like like there are four safeties vying for two spots we do believe Keaton Ellis um who's a team captain who's who's probably he's going to be a start day one starter but like how much how many snaps is he going to get compared to guys like Zeki Wheatley and KJ Winston? Well, even what you were saying, even what you're saying earlier about, you know, the Penn state defense going up against the Penn state offense and the defense was winning a lot of those games in practice. But like if Penn state defense is one of the best in the country, it may not be a great measure for how far along the offense is. So all that, all that to say, it's really hard to know what we're going to, what we're going to get out of this team and certainly even harder to know what we're going to get out of West Virginia because we are not that plugged in at all. But nonetheless, it's time for those predictions, bro. What do you think we're going to see when the game clock comes to zero? What kind of game will it have been and what's the score going to be? Um, <laughs> listen, my, I mean, I watched the Navy Notre Dame game and they was like 40, 42 to nothing in 42 that game. To three, until, I think was well, I mean, until that, you know, oh, the very end garbage yeah. time field goal. Um, now they were also going against the Navy triple option attack, <laughs> the vaunted triple option. I, I just, I, I think West Virginia could get something going, but like, I, I really want to see this defense do that kind of a thing, like nearly pitch a shutout. Yeah. You know, like, no, that'd be amazing. I, I like, like will they will they be pitching a shutout and then have to pull the the, the first and second string because basically we have like our top two strings are our starting strings on defense and maybe even a little into our third so so I just I want to predict a shutout but I also think that maybe we could get get like forty plus points ahead and have to you know let our our backups come in so I guess I'll just pull have to pull the trigger I'm gonna say forty five. We get our Sanders Sahadak one field goal, <laughs> and he hits all his extra points. <laughs> um, Forty-five to ten. Yeah. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. I think t- they're running. I think they're running. I think their running game will do something against our like reserve defense. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah That's I, the way it goes against Penn State. It seems. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm with you. I'm really. 
I mean, it could be an unexpectedly close game if Penn State's further behind and West Virginia's further ahead. I I don't see any. I don't really see a realistic scenario where West Virginia wins this game. Um, but uh, anything the can happen. The defense is going right? to give us short fields. Yeah, the defense is going to give us some short fields. Uh, you know, I, I I think anything can happen. Any any week we're we're starting a new quarterback, but I'm I'm really feeling that this team is ready and they're hungry. I, I'm 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 expecting a blowout as well. I'm expecting, you know, you you said forty five. I, I I was I was picturing forty five as well. Um, I'm going forty five to three. You cheat. You cheat. I I mean I <laughs> I could go forty two or forty nine. You just one dollar well. bobbed me. I I mean not on purpose. Rest in peace, Bob Barker. <laughs> um, you know. Well, I'm locking it in 45 to three. Um, you've got 45 to 10 and, um, yeah, we will if find out one. What if I re $1 Bob you and I say 45 to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you locking it in? No, I'm 45 10 still. Um, so, um, That'll do it for us. I'm curious to know what you all are are, are thinking going into the football season, um, this this 2023 season with high expectations. If you want to share with us your predictions, either of the season or of the game, send us a mailbag. Let us know what you're thinking. Are you as excited as we are? Or are you kind of a little more uh, concerned? Um, I'd love to hear about it. Tom would love to hear about it. Um, send us an email. Blue and White Brothers at gmail.com. While you're at it, subscribe, share with your friends, write a review, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but Excited by- to see that green Beaver Stadium grass, Andy. Oh, yeah. You know what's amazing is by this time next week, the Penn State football season will have begun. We will have an actual record and actual football results to talk about week one will have been completed for all of college football and things will be underway. It's going to be great. And until then it always starts with, I love you. And it ends with, I love you. Love you, bro. And we are, we are <laughs> Penn state. We did it again. I was trying to wait. You didn't chime in. We are Penn state. Okay. Goodbye everybody. We got to go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 